So as I'm coming through the corner ahead of me on the, on the road, hind paws on the road, front paws on the guardrail is a bear. Turns his head, looks right at me. So much so I like, <laughs> in a split second of my brain, is like, is this someone in a costume? Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Supa. Some of you out there, have heard and used the phrase, never a bad day to ride. Well, today's guest has taken that to a whole new extreme. Because today on the show, we've got Kip Bice, a man who, it turns out, has been riding every day since September the 14th, 2013. He's actually got the date. (laughs) Kip, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, just diving into a bit of background about Kip here. Uh, so we, we did some, some Google stalking on you and I've done some riding with you, thankfully. Um, and it's been a fun, fun journey so far. And what we found were about 10 pages mm-hmm. on, on the Google search. Actually, that's not true. I found 10 pages and then found that Google was just truncating all the rest of the race results. So oh. the pages <laughs> just kept going. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. You have, uh, you've raced probably... I, I don't even know what to compare it to. It's just, you've raced a shocking amount yes. and you've been on bikes probably more than most people, uh, have walked the, in, in, their, <laughs> in, their, daily, lives? I, I, yeah. in their lives. I don't know. It's, it's shocking. Um, but you, you have been a professional cyclist in road mountain cyclocross and track and track and track. Mm-hmm. and track. Yes. And, uh, and you're not racing professionally more but you are riding professionally as you're now coaching the next generation and current generations whoever needs needs help or wants help or guidance um and you have a a background it looks like in psychology exercise physiology and kinesiology yep yeah and that's one that's a little different we've had you know a couple of other guests that are in that sort of uh kinesiology sports med science kind of area you're, I think, the first guest we've had on the show with a BS in psych, which is nice because if everybody says, are you crazy for doing that? You can say, <laughs> no, I literally am not. And I know that. <laughs> well, functionally neurotic. Okay. See, there we go. We've got a better term. I like that. Yeah. So yeah, like Josh said, we've had plenty of people on here with tons of race experience, but yours is probably the broadest, I think, that we've seen. So let's just start there, if that works for you. Sure. Let's talk about that race career. But even, I guess, before that, where did you come from originally? Like, where in the States are you from? Uh, So I grew up in Wisconsin. Okay. So my first bike was literally, the brand name was BMX. And I got that bike in 1983. (laughs) Uh, And it was a BMX or it just wanted to be? (laughs) It was a BMX style bike and the brand name was actually BMX. was actually BMX. BMX. Yes. Okay. And did it have the foam on the handlebars? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, there we go. Oh, yes. That's important safety padding right there. <laughs> Most guests on the show have one of two kind of stories. Either A, I got that bike and I was so excited that I went out and raced it immediately. Or B, I got that bike and I was so excited, so I went out and wrecked it. Uh, actually, I can remember my first concussion was on that bike. There we go. In a crash. Um, there was no BMX races where I grew up. Mm-hmm. We had like little hidden BMX dirt jump tracks in the woods. Yeah. And if looking back, it's obvious I was going to be an endurance athlete. I was the like six-year-old who'd ride five miles across town just to go find jumps. 
Oh and my so gosh. My first concussion would have been in grade school. I couldn't say what grade, but I remember there's a little hilt not far from where my mom still lives. We we're mm. all racing down to hit a jump and we had someone measuring who's going to go the highest. And this is of course 80s, no helmets. Yeah, yeah. I went last and I was going to go the highest. I was bound and determined and I did. <laughs> uh-huh. I enough to put my head into a tree branch and knock myself out. Oh, like out before you hit the ground. Yes. Woke up on the ground. My friends thought it was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is long before the worries about concussions. Right. Yeah. 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 Rub some dirt in it. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think they existed back then. No concussions. Yeah. We didn't yeah. invent it's a them modern yet. invention. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So for you from that first day on a bike, was it just love at first sight? Like this is what I was born and built to do. A lot. Yeah. I mean, I definitely being in Wisconsin, I didn't ride a lot in the winter back then. No. Um, but I rode my bike to school all the time. Was always trying mm-hmm. to find the jumps. I was always willing to like ride across town or go really far and wouldn't come back till after dark. Yeah. Um, combined with that, my dad was actually a marathon runner before I was born, had his hip replaced about when I was born. So very young, he was a roadie. Um, so as I got older, he tried to get me into road riding. Mm-hmm. And as a 10 year old, I was like, where's, where's the fun in this? Where's the right. jumps? Yeah. So then in 89... I think that summer, because I'd lived with him the summer on the East Coast, he got some mountain bikes, a giant boulder and a giant Rincon. Oh man, yeah. And I still was like, you know, 11 years old, didn't want to go up big hills, Mm -hmm. but I appreciated the reward of going down the hills. So it was kind of like BMX on crack with just bigger hills and more speed and bigger jumps. Nice. So definitely got hooked then. Mm -hmm. And so just kept with the biking a lot, started high school, playing every sport I could play. Um... And finally just got sick of team sports and was always used to playing sports, always playing sports year round. And suddenly I'm not playing any team sports. Yeah. So biking went from the thing I did to get places or find jumps to what I did just all the time. Gotcha. Yeah. And where in that did the idea of competition really start to get cemented? Uh, quite a few years later, honestly, it was weird. Um, I went to mountain bike races on the East coast when I was in high school, mm-hmm. not to race, but just to find trails. Uh, where I was living with my dad was pretty close to the ocean. So there's like two places mm-hmm. within 30 minutes with some riding. Where are we at? Um, uh, do you know where Sandy Hook is in New Jersey? Yeah. A little bit south of there, okay. right on the coast. Yeah. Uh, Belmar is a town people know the mm-hmm. name of. Um, so I would travel to the races just figuring, you know, hey, because they had Norba News back then. Yeah, I'd yeah, get that yeah. I'd just find races like usually in uh, like the uh, Catskills of New York or Northwest mm-hmm. New Jersey just to find more trails to ride because no one that I knew in the area mountain biked as far as teenagers where I was. Right. Um, I thought about racing in college. So I went to college. I got really get seriously into racing immediately blew up my knee Ooh. um not that i couldn't have raced the next year i just i don't know i just didn't want to do it i traveled with the csu cycling team a bunch mm-hmm. but it was always just a fun thing um and their mentor back then was jimmy killen at the time he would have been in his mid-20s top five rider in the country he won the first ever junior world championships oh, okay so i got to ride with him a lot in college and i used to bench press because i want to be big and look tough for the girls so yeah, i probably yeah. had like 20 pounds more than i do now uh-huh. just of upper body muscle and he kept telling me get out of the gym, go ride somewhere. You're fast. You could be good at this. I'm like, ah, I want to rock climb. I want to do all these things. So I was still around racing for, I started going to races in 95. Okay. Entered my first race in 2001. Dang. That's a, I was a bit all, of a around yeah. a ton, loved mm-hmm. it, but just didn't want, I kind of knew myself. I'm hyper competitive. Okay. Like I was a total jerk when I was younger, as far as anything competitive. Mm-hmm. And I liked biking a lot. And so it's kind of like, I didn't want to make this competitive thing, bring out that bad side of me doing this thing. I love so much. Yeah. Changed my mind after working in a bike shop for a winter and realized working in a bike shop is not a great way to get to ride a lot. <laughs> no. And so I called up Jimmy Killen and said, Hey, what about that racing idea? You, you think I should take a crack at it? He's like, yeah. So he just kind of passed along some generic training plans to me. Mm-hmm. And I just, in 2001, I tried every race I could find. Like I okay. tried some road stuff, some track, cyclocross, mountain bike, just 
kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah. And um, by the very next year, this is in the days of there was a semi-pro category back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get up to that through local races, but back when I earned my pro license, you actually had a top five or five or top three, three Norman nationals at the semi-pro level. Okay. So it was real strict. I was going to say now. pretty stiff. Yeah. Uh, they've changed a lot for good reasons. Cause the made the pro feels tiny. Like yeah. you only have, a, you only have a legit pro field at like massive events. Yeah, um, yeah. so it took me that second year to earn my pro mountain bike license. And then if in the old categories, I think they use these in road. So I went cat five to cat one in nine months on the road bike. Now that takes a lot of races to do, doesn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't. I got really lucky in that I did my first cat five race was actually a three day stage race called Valley of the Sun. And, um, my time trial would have put me in like the top 15 for pro men. Okay. Um, so they said, yeah, you can go to four. I came back to Colorado, did a cat four race. Um, and I was tactically an idiot and I'm not a sprinter. I came out of the gutter from 50th place to fifth seated. In a, in a little crit called Stasio. Okay. And I knew the local official was like, yeah, you can bump up. My next, the next day I raced my first Cat 3 race, it was the Boulder Bay. I rode up into the Pro 1 2 field ahead of me. Uh, <laughs> and so they upgraded me to Cat 2. All right. So then. you're supposed to do lots of yeah, races yeah, technically, yeah. but an official can say, no, you're fine. You're, you're bumped up. Oh, okay. And so in all that, I thought it was really, really fast. Then I started racing against pros and it was a total game changer. You <laughs> Not go from as fast really, as you thought. Really arrogant, thinking I can kick everyone's butt. Like I was the guy before I got to the Pro. Every ride I went on, I had to turn the screws on you. Mm-hmm. Show you how fast I am. Uphill, down, didn't matter what kind of ride. I had to do that. Awesome. Then I started racing against World Cup pros. I was like, oh, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what, race, what was the first race that you made that jump and realized that it was a whole different game now? Probably. There's, I mean, there's a few different. Well, there's a few funny ones. Um, there was one I found. I found this random little race in Eastern Kansas okay. with a little prize payout. Yeah. And this is, I'm still transitioning, working part-time in a bike shop. And actually I was, even in college, I was personal training and coaching. Mm-hmm. didn't know what I was doing. Well, yeah. I just, I'll go to the gym and lift you and tell you how to lift. Coaching was like, well, I can bunny up a curb, so I'll show you how to do it. So I had like <laughs> a little bit of side business coaching yeah. from age, age 18 on. I did little coaching, little training, but just with other college athletes, didn't sure. know much. So working in a bike shop, trying to patch that together with race winnings and a little sponsorship. Mm-hmm. I end up in Eastern Kansas doing this race. I'm like, I'm going to kick these guys, but there's no yeah, yeah. Kansas can ride. Uh, a name you guys may not know because he sadly passed away a few years back, Steve Tilford. No world champion level rider okay. was still crushing at the national level in his fifties. Oh, wow. Back then I would have been you know, 22 or whatever. He would have been late thirties, maybe 40 by then, mm-hmm. but still like top level national pro, but old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Air, air quote old. Yeah. I was going to say 22 year old. Yeah. That's old. Now, right. so, so he, he took off. I mean, like, Whoa, this guy's pretty fast. Well, I'll follow him, but this, you know, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll kick his butt. Yeah. He's old. He's an old guy. He's old. Nope. <laughs> We got into some sections of trail he knew better than me, didn't see him again. So that was when, and when I came back, I was actually on a road team at the time too. And there were a lot of masters riders. And so they kind of pulled me aside and explained what this guy had done. And I was like, oh, okay. And then another big eye opener, um, was in a race. I was on this road team, just a domestic level team. We had only six pro roadies and it was mostly a master's team. And then, uh, the, most of the track national athletes were on our team. Okay. So we're doing the group road ride that doesn't exist anymore. And you actually, actually used to even go other places. If everyone knows about the Acacia Park ride, yeah, they used yeah. to change their route. No Shocking way. Thought, I know. Yeah, hold right? on. So it was probably a Sunday. We get to the edge of town on Highway 24, heading to Black Forest. Some guy in a no-name kit takes off. And, I'm, and my team's just sitting in watching. My team manager goes out and gets after him. He, he'd waste uh, Philly, like national level championships. And I was like, well, it's kind of uphill. I'm a climber. I'll show him <laughs> what I can do. Yeah. We pinned it at like 50K an hour, slightly uphill. From the edge of the springs to Black Force, I could not shut down the gap, no matter what I did. My team manager is just sitting on, doing nothing. I'm like, 
get to Black Forest, whoever this guy is turns left. Manager goes straight. I finally catch him. I'm like, what the heck was that? No, again, name you not know it. Norm Alvis had raced the tour. Oh. Was the U.S. Hour record holder for a long time. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure everyone else back in the f- field was just laughing at me trying to chase him down. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, good luck, man. Yeah, like, yeah, not happening. Yeah, so that, that was a fun one. And uh, probably the, my first mountain bike experience at the really, really high level was uh, Sea Otter when it was still a four-day UCI stage race. Yeah. That was, yeah. Um, I remember uh, Ryder Heschedel mm-hmm. went on to win the Giro. Yeah. Crashed in the fat tire crit. Okay. And then I remember sitting in, I'm working my butt off, like spinning hard just to sit in. I see him just come right past the field, back up to the front after a crash. Just like, like nothing. Just like he didn't care. And I'm like, I'm wondering if I'm going to make it through the fat tire crit. And yeah. he hits the deck, gets up and just rides back to the front. Was, <laughs> that's, that's when I kind of started clicking my head, huh? I, I've got some speed, but there's another levels beyond. Uh, you just can't imagine until you try to follow him. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure there's lots more where I got my butt kicked and kind of went, oh, ouch. Wow. Wow. So you, you kind of got started, uh, at CSU, right? That's, that's where you studied. Uh, yeah. CSU Fort Collins is my undergraduate. Okay. Yep. And you went on to graduate. I did that, uh, years later at UT Austin. Okay. So. Very good. So you kind of had an interest in exercise even at undergrad or oh, yeah. how did that I mean, work out? I was, I was, I started going to the gym when I was like 10. Like all the time. I've always been like an exercise guy. I'd always, I remember it became a thing when I was in like fifth grade. I decided I had to run a mile every day, do a hundred pushups, a hundred sit-ups, a hundred jumping jacks, just because that made sense to me. So <laughs> yeah, again, functionally About right. that psych degree. Yeah. 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 Why do people study psychology? Yeah. Usually to diagnose themselves. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so is that what initially drew you to the psych degree? Is to, to figure out your own psyche? No, I, you know, I'm not sure. I think it just seemed like an interesting field and mm-hmm. just didn't really have any one thing I liked. And ironically, I had a really good friend who took it, a degree in exercise sports science. I remember at 18 learning this from like, why would you study sports science? You just do sports. Like you just go to like, the, like, what do you mean science? You yeah, just do it's it. Just sports and exercise. You just do a lot of exercise, do a lot of sports. You'll be good. It didn't even, I was too young and dumb for it to click that, oh, there's really a lot to this. Kind of played out well for me in a weird way because, um, I got into racing, got real serious, kind of realized where my talents were and what it would take to make serious money. And there's, it just, I knew I wasn't going to make a, a full-time living off racing because I was mm-hmm. still coaching a little person. I just patched together an income, um, had a really bad wreck one year, right in the heart of my season when I was in my best contract. So I lost my contract. Um, and then really started thinking, Hey, you know, I should, I should really build up my scientific credentials for coaching. Cause mm-hmm. now I was getting into my mid twenties and I kind of learned, Hey, there's a lot of science to this. Uh, Chris Carmichael's business was also very big by then. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a market out there for coaching. It was, it was a thing to be a cycling coach. And uh, that's when I decided to go back to graduate school. And so I did a whole nother undergrad degree because I, I uh, took my GREs, got accepted, and then saw the list of prereqs. Psychology does not translate to exercise physiology. <laughs> um, so I had a whole no. list of all these undergrad ex-phys classes I would need to take to take graduate ex-phys. So I went back to a whole nother undergrad degree. And then on into grad school and in a weird way, I kind of was like kicking myself like, oh, I should have just done this in the beginning, but it actually played out really well. Cause by the time I got into grad school for all this stuff, I had raced professionally. Mm-hmm. I'd coached a lot of athletes. I'd trained a lot of people in the gym. Like I felt like I knew lots of stuff and there was so many, I'm an idiot moments or oh, yeah. the science of, uh, the science of exercise is super involved and complicated. The applications of the really good stuff, the functional stuff is almost like it makes you go, duh. Is it kind of one of those fields? Like in, I used to be a graphic designer mm-hmm. for a long time. And they have a saying in design, especially that simple is hard in that you can have all the design ideas in the world, but to execute something simply, but do it right is actually really, really hard to do. Does the same apply essentially in coaching? 
I think so. Yeah. Well, in coaching, that's something we talk about a lot. This is a little bit of personal training too, but more coaching. We talk about the science being easy and the art being hard. Oh, okay. Um, what do you mean by that? So, I mean, you can, anyone can get online nowadays and look a pretty good workout program. Say it's, I want to run a faster 5k or I want to finish a hundred mile bike ride. Okay. Like if I, if I have a, say an adult athlete come to say, I want to do my first ever hundred mile bike ride. Okay. We could just, if we had all the freedom in the world to just slowly build a base, do some longer rides, fit in some intervals, work on our nutrition. We've got six months. I mean, it's not complicated. What if this said adult has three kids, full-time job? I uh, see where you're going. The, the six months they have is over the winter when it's dark and cold. So the art of how to make the science fit reality. That's, I don't know if it's similar to what you're thinking of, but yeah. that's the big challenge in coaching. And then with, when that's, yeah, for anything. And then psychology actually comes back into play too. Yeah. Um, well, as Josh knows, I ride with kids a ton. Mm-hmm. And kids are adults both, but especially with kids, like finding the right way to say things to people, to motivate them, so they understand what you what you want them to do and to get them to, to buy in. So yeah. it's funny, I didn't really use the psych degree until I did more coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that kind of makes sense. Understanding yeah. the art of motivation is is very, very powerful in life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. So, so we, we got yeah. you up through, uh, you said University of Texas? Yeah, that was, it was a hybrid program because by then I was still trying to make my living racing a bit too. So I did all my coursework online and I would go to Texas like, you know, for 10 days, two weeks at a time, about once a month throughout the winter. And they actually have a pretty good road and mountain bike racing season down there or series with some decent payouts. So. Very nice. How far did you get through before you hit that point where you realized maybe racing isn't really going to be full time, like that that's going to be your whole career? Was it a pretty early realization or yeah, were there some hopeful years? I, I'd what year did I, did I was, I dislocated my hip in Deer Valley in, in a Norman national race. Um, how did that happen? Uh, it was in the, it was in the national marathon race, not the XC race. So pretty big course going out in the back country and this is America. Uh, so that means trails do not get closed for races. Nope. Mm. Um, so public is still allowed to hike in the middle of a race in these hikers defense. It's a big, big loop. They could access the uh, trails from anywhere, not necessarily known, mm-hmm. um, but just really bad timing, super fast downhill blind corner, try, locked it up to try to avoid them and actually high-sided my bike. Oh, oh no. On a trail. Two-wheel drifting across a trail oh. and then high-sided it right wow. into my left hip. So. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah. And that was just before all my, tar- I was racing uh, for Canada at the time. That was right before all my target events. Oh, so no. I hadn't really accomplished much that year because we were purposely building for some mm-hmm. stuff. And so at the end of the year, Candle, <laughs> this would be a miracle nowadays. They actually gave me two free bikes as a like parting gift. Thank you. No slash, way. But they couldn't resign me because yeah. I didn't do anything. Yeah. That yeah. wouldn't happen today. Because they wait, how did you get out of the woods that day? Um, I self-reduced. Um, okay. Which I don't recommend. Um, <laughs> for a hip. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily it wasn't, I mean, I don't know how far I was out. I did eventually get to an ER and they're like, yeah, that was definitely out. Who knows how far. And then kind of just one leg pedaled it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ouch. That was, uh, I can't place the, I want to say that was probably 2006-ish. Um, and so it was funny, actually, free riding mm-hmm. saved my sanity. How so? So my sister uh, worked for Whistler Blackcomb, has for a long, long time. Um, she has been in the bike patrol at Whistler uh, Bike Park for a long time. She was in an avalanche about a year and a half before my bad crash, broke her back. They put metal in. Canadian medical system's interesting. Year and a half later, they take the metal out. All all expenses covered, but they only let you in the hospital like three days. Whoa! And obviously, this is a podcast. I am not a big guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe five six if I'm lucky. About 125 okay. pounds. My I'm sister is yeah. significantly smaller than me. She oh, had wow. two eight centimeter rods in her back taken out and sent home three days later. So I still had the my contract was still good as far as my salary through the end of the year. 
didn't really want to race because I'd been hurt most of the summer. So I just moved up to Canada for about six, two months, yeah, about two months and just lived in Whistler with her to kind of help take care of her. And it was funny, a fun moment for me. Um, cause I was really, obviously pretty depressed. Like, yeah, I just, I'm not going to have a contract next year. And I don't really have, I mean, I had a few gym clients, I had a few coaching clients, but not nothing that would pay the bills. And I was yeah. like, what the hell am I going to do? And like, I don't know, bike, and biking wasn't even fun because I was training so much. Um, get to Whistler and I'd been there before, but when I'd been there previously, I was under contract and my sponsor was like, you stay out of the bike park. Uh-uh, mm-hmm. none of that stuff. Well, now I've got two months up there. I had so much fun. It was the most fun riding I'd had in longer than I could remember. And then something else clicked for me about the fitness. You know, we're great riders up there and super fit people too. But not necessarily a whole lot of like pro athlete fit though. So mm-hmm. we go to some big loop on an amazing trail. So like, that was awesome. Let's go do another loop. And everyone else is like, no, we're good. We're tired. I'm like, oh, I've got all this fitness from racing. So that's kind of an aha moment. Like, oh, mm. I mean, being fit enough to win a pro race is awesome and cool. Even if you're, you know, unless you're a pro at the World Cup level, it's really not paying that much. I started right. to see the value of my fitness of like, oh, I'm so fit that I can ride five laps of these amazing trails without being totally worn out. And so that brought back a lot of the joy for me. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fitness can open a lot of doors. Yeah. <laughs> Some crazy ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like doing 1,200 mile races on a single speed in one year. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that. <laughs> There's a certain kind of torture that people seem to love. And that if you're not in the cycling world, the idea of riding 100 miles, first of all, might seem a little crazy. Or the idea of single speed might seem nuts. 100 mile single speed repeatedly how did you get there what made that seem like a good idea oh it's funny so on and off i often competed in the nue series once i kind of hit that realization of i'm never gonna make a serious living off of racing mm-hmm. when i got to that point in my career if i raced i usually chose long races because i'm still competitive enough. if i'm gonna do it i want to do it well and i want to prepare for it it's not a whole lot of fun for me at least to prepare for say a little 5k xc loop to drive across the country and do four laps of it yeah. But to travel around the country and do a hundred mile race where you see like all the good trails in an area in a day, that's more motivating for me. So mm-hmm. I've been in the, in and out of the NUA series a bunch. In fact, I did the first ever NUA. And, um, by the time two, six, uh, 2016 hit, I still knew myself well enough that I knew I wanted to be competitive. And by then I'm getting to my late thirties. I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, pros 10 years younger than me. Yeah. Maybe a couple, but overall not too much. I had too much ego to hand in my UCI elite card. So once you're pro, if you want to race internationally, you have to uh, sub, uh, submit an application to the UCI. So I was like, I kind of didn't want to hand in my license, so to speak, but I knew I wouldn't be as competitive as I'd like against, you know, a 25-year-old pro. So like, I'll race single speed a little bit more. Gotcha. Um, okay. I'd been doing our local races the years before on single speed, just for fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just started the season, planned to do some NUEs and just, you know, see. And uh, just after a few of them, uh, my first wife um, had the idea of, well, do you think you could finish all of them? Do you think that's possible? Uh, Cause she was an exercise person too. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think I could. And then I kind of parlayed it and I think it got lost, but it's out there somewhere. Um, not exactly a podcast, like a little, did a little almost webinar thing that was mm-hmm. connected to my old webpage. Uh, basically connecting to physiology. You know, you hear single speeding is bad for your knees. No, it's not. That's like saying lifting heavy is bad for you. No, lifting too heavy too often is bad for you. Yeah. So single speeding, if you prepare for it properly, like I had no back issues or knee issues after roughly 200,000 feet of race climbing in a single speed in one season. Now that's just racing, not even the training. So I kind of tied it to my coaching Holy business cow. a little bit and kind of a little, had a little uh, video on my website, you know, kind of going over, you know, here's a guy, what, 38 at the time mm-hmm. doing all the single speeding with healthy knees and a healthy lower back. Okay. So before we get back to the story, I'm curious. So I would love to know, and others might as well, if you could give me real quick top like three or four tips on how is that possible? Like, what do you do? How do you train? 
so that you can do heavy miles on a single speed without hurting yourself? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of parts to it. Yeah. Um, if you kind of think of the body head to toe, heavy bent over rows are, they're a good exercise for anybody, mm-hmm. but on a single speed, you're really wrestling the bars hard a lot. So a heavy bent over row with dumbbells simulates that force to a degree. Okay. Um, and then uh, for, you know, everyone hears the word core, core is super important. Torsional loading is huge. Okay. Um, in fact, Josh and I both know an athlete, two athletes who had some problems with this races with lower back issues. Cause when you're racing all out hard and even more so in a single speed, your back is trying to not twist essentially yeah. as your legs are working, working unilaterally. So really heavy torsional loading for the lower back. Mm-hmm. And then the legs, it's actually super simple. Unilateral is the fancy word for one leg. Yeah. Lifting on a leg extension and a leg press. Oh, okay. Um, and, and obviously good workouts on the bike as well too. Yeah. But you know, single speeding on a single speed bike, you really can't control the workout very much. Right. It kind of I mean, is what the trail tells yeah, you it is. It's kind of, you know, we kind of joke, it's actually, pardon me, three speeds, sit, stand or walk. <laughs> so, <laughs> so on a single speed, I, I would argue a lot of athletes, what they're missing the most is the gym. Okay. Point, if you're, you know, if we say it takes about five or seven years to develop an endurance athlete. Once you've put in five or seven years of significant training, unless something major changes in your life, like you suddenly, you know, can retire and have all the time in the world to ride or you win the lottery, like there's not a whole lot more you can do within the sport. To go. There's little tweaks but you're not going to like drastically change your riding ability. If you've got seven years of good training under your belt, Mm -hmm. the gym is where a lot of people, and it doesn't have to be a gym. Just, I mean, just the movements the strength movements can be received some of the biggest payoffs. Cause the basic idea behind all this is a total stress score. If you guys are familiar with that. I'm not, I'm I'm sure you guys know what Watts are Mm -hmm. power to the pelt at the end of ride. You can look at kilojoules, like the entire power produced for a ride. Mm. So basically if you're thinking about like how your body withstands the single speed, you can't measure pound for pound, like how much force is put on, say your lower back, but the concept makes sense. Yeah. You know, over a hundred miles of single speeding, you are twisting and torquing your lower back a ton. Mm. That's going to add up to some total stress or total load. If you have no job and can just build up and ride as much as you possibly want. And, you know, every couple of weeks do a huge single speed ride. Great. But if you're trying to fit it, that kind of that art thing, if you're trying to fit it in, you're trying to find ways to simulate that total load, that total force on the lower back with weights. Okay. And then when you have need that from your body in a hundred mile race, you have it. Gotcha. All right. Wow. You just dropped a, a load of wisdom and knowledge on us. Yeah, so that was fantastic. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we could dig a lot more into that, but I'd love to, to keep pressing with your story as well. Yeah, Carefully, I can goes. dork out big time on the side I, I, stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We, yeah. We're totally looking for <laughs> yeah, that. Maybe, yeah. maybe we'll have another show in that in the future. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But so jumping back to the timeline here, mm-hmm. um, what happened after you got your graduate degrees and what was the gap or what, what brought you to the Colorado Springs area? So actually I moved to the Springs in July of 2000. Uh, so I graduated that spring 2000, I graduated from CSU, was working in a bike shop there and, you know, had lots of college friends. Um, I had a buddy who was kind of, he was a grad student, really good friend of mine who was in the Springs working for USA Cycling. And this is really quite ironic because I grew up saying I didn't like kids. You know, I've never had kids. Um, I coached uh, 600 kids this year. Yeah, I was going to say foreshadowing everyone. Yeah. That's going to come back to us. So um, my buddy said, I think this is job. You'd be really good. I forget the exact title, but there's a uh, USA cycling was opening a position uh, for youth cycling development. And he's like, because yeah, I was coaching other college kids when I was in college. So he mm-hmm. kind of knew that about, it. he's like, you should come apply for the job and you can come crash with me working a bike shop. Cause he, he said, it's a national governing body. Everything moves slow. Yeah. So my buddy convinced me. I moved down here, got a job at another bike shop. Applied to USA Cycling for, again, I forget the actual youth development type thing. I think about four months later, they offered me the job. And uh, by then I had met a lot of USA Cycling. I like the people at USA Cycling. Don't like politics. 
Yeah. And I, I, was, I actually feel I was lucky that I turned down that job, that I was lucky to be somewhat mature for a 21 year old or whatever I was mm-hmm. and kind of recognizing, you know what, I think working for a political body that's related to cycling could potentially kill my love for cycling. Yeah. So I stayed in the bike shop and that's when I got back to Jimmy Killen. Mm. Cause I was like, well, I didn't take the job I came here for bike shopping. Isn't the way to get lots of riding in. Maybe I can do that racing thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. So color Springs, you spent some time dabbling back and forth to Texas to, to get your degrees. Yep. And then where did you go from there? You have your degrees now. Yeah. So it was interesting. That's now we're to my late twenties, early thirties. Um, started doing a little more coaching more, more with juniors by my late twenties, mm. early thirties when, well, when I was a, not a junior, when I was a young 20 year old, I was coaching young 20 year olds, but yeah. Now I'm, you know, I guess 30s an adult <laughs> <laughs> and had started to got hooked in with Front Rangers, local junior cycling club. Just Great a couple, program. Yeah. And um, knew about kids. No, Kids of Bikes wasn't around by then. Um, uh, worked with USA Cycling uh, program for the national team, or the, not the national, the national camps and started just enjoying that more. Um, started working in the gym a little bit more and was still trying to parlay racing. Like throughout my late 20s and early 30s, I'd every six months just go, well, maybe I can give it one more really hard push. And find some specialty where I can win or convince someone to sponsor me or make. So I was still getting some prize money here and there and some little sponsorships. So it's definitely much a, a very much a patchwork. Okay. And real quick, mm-hmm. you had said earlier that the drive for competition was something that you had been a little hesitant about moving into racing. And you weren't mm-hmm. really sure. So how was that as your career progressed? Like, was it, did you still want to race for the joy of it, for the just bloodthirsty competition? I mean, what was keeping you still connected to that racing as time went on? Uh, well, there's backing up a step. There's kind of a joke. And I say when we, uh, we in the, the coaching world, especially mm-hmm. in endurance sports, you know, running, swimming, cycling, training based sports, we call it kind of the chicken and egg in our world. Okay. Are you a type A neurotic person to get into the sport or is being in the sport make you kind of type A neurotic? Gotcha. Oh, yeah. um, so oh. I definitely have that person like getting hooked on the details, the number, the training mm-hmm. and all that. So that was what I was kind of stuck me back in, you know, always wanted to be fit and fast and all that. Yeah. I am competitive. And then of course, I didn't ever want to have a real job. So there's always that hope, you know, well, maybe this <laughs> yeah. time I'll, I'll just be faster and I'll, you know, yeah, yeah, my yeah. 35 year old self will be that 25 year old. So I was always kind of jumping back in to racing a little bit with that, that hope of maybe pulling off something with it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as every year passed, I had more clients in the gym, more kids I'm coaching, and I got more and more involved with a lot of local programs. And eventually I just accepted like, yeah, I can race for fun when I want to, yeah. but I'm actually a happier person when I'm racing for fun and helping other people ride better. One other quick note on that, psychology-wise, that was part of the reason going to the single speed too, though. Not just the whole like not knowing I probably wouldn't beat a younger pro, mm-hmm. but also like if I'm if I'm lined up with a geared like a fancy nice geared bike, I, I get stuck into that psychology of well, can I follow this attack? Am I as fast as him, or is he younger than me, or you know all that? Oh yeah. Single speed, yes, it's physically harder in some ways, but mentally it's like you pedal the gear you got as hard as you can pedal it. Oh yeah, that's all you have, and that works or it doesn't. So that kind of took away some of the bad parts of me as far as being over competitive. Gotcha. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, single speed, just so freeing. I was going to say, because yeah. Josh, you've spent some time in a single speed. A little bit, a little bit. I have definitely not spent uh, 1,200 miles of racing in one year on a single speed, but that's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, so as, as you dove more into the coaching world and these programs started developing further, we had the Front Rangers, we had the launching of Kids on Bikes which has become a pretty significant part of your life. Yes. Yes. <laughs> where, where did that come from? Like what, what was the idea and what is it now? It's funny. So, um, I knew of front rangers had been on some rides with them. Um, had known Eldon, seen him on bike mm-hmm. rides. Um, 
couple times as, you know, a pro racer, I'd guest ride with them just to talk to the kids and all that. And then was doing, I started doing the national camps for USA Cycling with the really, really fast kids from all over the country. Really got a kick out of that. Yeah. And then I remember <laughs> the very first year kids on bikes had a camp. Um, they had like four camps and I, I couldn't make it. Then for the next two, three years, I would just do a couple weeks of summer just with their most advanced camp. Um, super fun and was getting more and more with front range. So it was never planned like, oh, I'm going to become the coach for all the kids in the area. Uh, but as we did more of this, uh, the executive director of kids and bikes, Dana Bird's a really good friend of mine. Uh, we're very similar. We talk when we talk about not the organization kids on bikes, but the idea of kids riding bikes. Like, I don't care if someone joins front rangers, does a mountain bike camp with kids on bikes, joins with the high school teams. If we can get more kids riding bikes and having fun, there's, there's no competition amongst us. And so as I did more with the groups, we kind of created unofficial relationships. And then it, it's just, as it's grown, it's been easier for me to get more and more invested in it because there's more going on, but it's, you see so much more. Yeah. Like I'm super excited to see like the next five years, just in Colorado Springs, these last couple summers for kids on bikes, we're getting to where we have like eight, nine year old kids doing buckhorn and Captain Jacks. Mm. Like that's incredible yeah. for those you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, so for me, it's just as a coach, I kind of sit back and I'm like, Oh, they're doing that at eight and nine. What's gonna be like to ride with these kids that are 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. What, what do you see in five years? Like what, when you say you're excited, what does that vision look like? So it's funny. Um, I think about the racing a little bit, mm -hmm. but I'm not too worried about that. Like, I mean, they have the, the color league's awesome. If kids want to race when they get to high school, there's a great, really positive way to do it. I love to see kids try it because I do tell any athlete, I don't care if you're a kid or an adult, one really good reason to mountain bike race, even if you're not super competitive or thinking you can win, it's the one time you can ethically go as fast as you want. If you're a responsible right. mountain biker, unless you've got yeah. a number plate on, you really can't go all out. You got to share. That's yeah. absolutely true. And I'm glad you said that. That's something that we haven't hit on too much in the show, but even for me, I've been riding in the Springs for almost 20 years and I've seen the attitudes of riders change how especially guys now talk about certain trails interactions with hikers with almost a sense of entitlement of like oh man they're on my trail and they got my way it's like it's not your trail bro yeah. and we do way better here in the springs i've had many clients out of the denver boulder area over the years anytime they've come here for a weekend ride they're always surprised how much better the interactions are with hikers here in the springs as compared yeah. to just denver boulder um yeah so that's it makes me think of something that we love to see now when i say we kind of speaking for kids on bikes um mm -hmm. love when we see because we do throughout the summer we see social media posts that touch on us sometimes like, yeah a lot of times hey i saw this group of kids out in ute valley or palmer or whatever you know does anyone know who that was and usually as one of us on staff will catch it and say, oh that was us kids on bikes doing our camp we love when we see that what a really polite little group of shredders <laughs> that's awesome that yeah um the other thing i like to see as much as the racing what's really neat is a big chunk of the kids on bikes coaching staff in the summer are teenagers who either did front rangers or kids on bikes when they're younger. Yeah. So seeing them become better, faster riders is super fun, but to see them come back and coach younger kids, it's really, really cool. And I also like to tell them they're not going to grow up and get a better job. Yeah. I said, adulting <laughs> won't be this fun. No, it won't. <laughs> or, or if like we're having a snack on the side of the mountain, I like to go, you're on the clock right now. Yeah. Like, just remember that. You're getting paid just to hang out with kids and ride your bike. So that I, again, I like the racing. Mm -hmm. That to me is even as a little, almost a little bit cooler. Just that community and that, that revolving door. And I'm, I'm hoping that these kids, as they become the adults and on the shows, they're better than maybe the people you've run into. Yeah. Cause they yeah. have that. I mean, that's huge for us instilling that whether it's Highlanders race team, front rangers, kids on bikes, it's, it's trail etiquette. It's huge. Well, thank you for the role that you've got in that because yeah, it's especially here at the show. And for me personally, it's something that I'm pretty passionate about because yeah, we all want to ride hard. We all want to ride fast, but our access to trails is entirely dependent on us being nice. Because yeah. it would not take much for stuff to turn ugly. Yeah. No, we're really blessed to have a lot of trails and 
pretty good community, both back and forth hiking and biking. Yeah. It is a special place. And you, you're working to create that in, in incredible ways. You're, you're mentoring these new riders all through the discovery of cycling to, you know, pretty high level racing if they so choose yep. near, near the top <laughs> of racing, I'd say some of the, the kids you've worked with. Um, what, what else would you say, like if you could communicate the, the mission of kids on bikes, what, what would you call it? Well, actually I call I'll do the official mission statement. Yeah, let's then, hear it. Oh. So officially, our mission is to inspire and empower all kids to lead healthy, active, and happy lives through bicycling. That's the official mission statement on our website. I totally agree with it. To add to that a little bit is biking's a great sport, but there's a reason it's number two in the world. So Americans don't really get it. Number one in the world is football. Right. Football. Football, <laughs> yes. yeah. Yes. Number two, as far as participation and viewership, is cycling. Second biggest sport. The reason it's second to soccer, expensive. Yeah. Football. Grass and a ball. Go. Mm-hmm. Cycling, there's a lot more to it. So kids on bikes, we on the website, we're not talking about, you know, the expense. Well, we do talk about the expense of biking, but these summer camps, for example, there are scholarships. So there, can, there are kids out there who maybe their parents don't have enough money to send, pay for them to go to essentially a summer day camp. There yeah. are scholarships for them to get in. But in honesty, most of the kids who come to our summer camps, their parents can afford to buy them a bike, mm-hmm. can afford to send them, which is great. Super fun. It, we're a nonprofit. We're trying to make that biking more accessible to all kids. Not just the kids who come from, you know, a wealthier family that can buy them a nice bike. Yeah. So there's tons of earn a bike programs. Um, they earn uh, helmets, bike pumps, learn safe routes to school. So mm-hmm. it's not just about the economics per se, but again, we know that biking is an awesome sport. We love it. It's not the easiest sport to get into. And that's something that's good to highlight because it would be easy from the outside with some of the other uh, youth cycling programs that are a little more race focused for somebody to look at this and just say, if they didn't know, mm-hmm. just say, okay, kids on bikes, are you, am I expected to go spend literally $8,000 on a bike for my kid to be on the start line? And that's not the case. Nope, not at all. Yeah. We actually have bike lockers all over town. Really? There's big storage sheds full of bikes that are our program bikes. And mm-hmm. some of those become earn a bike programs where a kid gets involved enough to literally earn a bike to ride. There's yeah. bikes we lend out. I mean, I have lent out bikes at camps often. You yeah. know, at the higher level, the higher level camps for kids on bikes pretty serious kids riding, but we, mm-hmm. we start at really low at beginner levels. And sometimes kids come from a family that they have a bike, but the family doesn't even know what a mountain bike needs to look like. So yeah. we'll lend bikes out for a week camp. Um, so what stories come to mind of like, if I say good stories or kids that have had their lives, like literally changed by this, oh, I'm sure there's some there's, uh, you know, I'm not going to use names obviously. No. Um, but I can just give you some numbers and as far as ages and whatnot, there's a, a a young man I work with now privately. So he's a private mm-hmm. client of mine. He races in high school league. Um, and he started first time ever was kids on bikes. Um, he's got some minor medical issues, not super social, but first time I met him day two in a camp and it was like a level two mm-hmm. intermediate camp. I had to talk to his dad after camp because his attitude was so bad. I, as a coach with kids, I try to rarely do that. If I, if I talk to a parent, I want to tell them something positive. Yeah. If the kid's having a behavioral issue, I work with a lot of kids. I can usually handle it within camp. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to go home. Yeah. But it was, his attitude was that bad. Um, quick, funny ad, addition to that, his younger brother was in camp two weeks later. Day one, I asked dad, how are they related? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was like, he yeah. was just like, I don't know. So that's, I want to say he is 15 now. He was 10 or 11 when that happened. He now volunteers for kids on bikes extensively. Not a paid coach. He doesn't care about getting paid. Comes to camps, any weather. He'll, he's, unbelievably fast uphill 
loves going hard. He will go to the back and ride behind a six-year-old. That's awesome. And again, he's still not a super social outgoing kid and that's fine, but I'll hear him talking to young girl. Oh, do you have a good day today? You're having fun. And so that like, he's one of those transitions is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a kid we, Josh will know who I'm talking about. <laughs> there's a kid who just, uh, finished his senior year, very competitive, the varsity level. I was at his first bike race ever when he was eight. Uh, again, I'm all five, six. He was shorter than me. Not in amazing shape, shy, anxious, nervous, quiet. Um, you, if you had met him now, you'd never believe that was him in eighth grade. He's now six, four yeah. state championship level fast. Quiet would not be a word that applies in any way, shape or form. He'll finish his race and he'll run around the race course for the rest of the day with horns and cheering and costumes and all that. And oh, I also pay him to be a coach for kids on bikes in the summer. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, such a cool program. Yeah. And I love that this is developing a, a new generation of, of the attitude and the perception and towards the cycling world. And I think that the number one critique that you hit on for the cycling world is that it's very uh, privileged. And yeah, undeniably. It's, yes. And this is, it's hard because there's so much truth to that. We have expensive toys. We do. We do. Mm -hmm. But if we can figure out better ways to share the joy of riding a bike with anyone, regardless of background or economic status, that is such a, a powerful way to change, change our community, change our world. And yeah. I, I love what you're doing. So thank well, you. Think of one more fun story from kids and bikes because it relates to something we talked about earlier. We were admitting uh, before the show started, there are more guys than girls on mountain biking. Just, just that's the statistics. I think any, all of us would like there to be more women on mountain biking. We're just more people, right? Yeah. So, but fun story about how that the guy versus girl thing, the competitiveness, and how some guys can be with attitude. This is maybe a couple summers back. I forget. I'm at one of the more advanced levels of kids on bikes. Fast kids, they can ride. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my assistant coaches that particular week was a 16 year old girl who raced varsity high school, so she can race. She's very quiet. She's nice, good with the kids. Couple of the boys, like day three, day four, whatever. Um, we're though. If I remember correctly, there weren't any girls in level four that week. Not because it's a only boys thing. It just just happened. How, how it worked out. Yeah. And so a couple of the boys were kind of saying some things about, oh, it's nice. You know, it's just all guys here because you know we can't. I mean, girl, basically, girls can't keep up. Uh -huh. So I had my female coach. I can say her, her first name, Ellie. I was like, mm -hmm. go turn the screws on them. <laughs> just show them what a girl can do. She can. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. So that was just kind of a fun one. Like, Did she I absolutely destroy them? Oh, yeah. Well, and she did the way I taught her to do it, which was kind of fun. And I How's rarely that? do this. So, you know, you've got some competitive who isn't doing it in a polite way. Right. The trick is get, get in front of them, mm -hmm. pick up the pace, just a teeny bit. Mm -hmm. Don't just blow, blow by them. And just, if you can hear it, listen to their breathing and just keep kind of picking it up. Picking it up, picking it up until you know they're, they're pinning it to stand and then go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, there's the psychology. Yeah, yes. There, yes. That, that is dirty right there, but yes. I love it. All right. More pro tips yes. from Kip here. <laughs> it's also how you demoralize those competing with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then you get around the corner, you breathe really hard and, you know, yeah. you, you yeah. pretend like you're not working hard. Right, right. Sight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's some race tactic in that. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. For sure. <laughs> oh, man. Well... <laughs> I, I'd love to, to hear some of the, like, if you just have a few stories of crazy things that have happened to you on the bike, you've spent so much of your life on the bike. I, I've no doubt that, uh, yes, there are some encounters. It, well, it's funny. I, um, again, I, I work in a gym a bit, quite a bit too. Everyone knows me as a cyclist and I've had plenty of injuries and crashes over the years. 
And some people are in the gym who aren't cyclists. Man, you crash all the time. Like, I don't crash very much. It's just statistics. Yeah. If you're out there every day, hours a day, just stuff's going to happen. Be it a crash or crazy things. And since this was requested earlier, one can hit a bear on a bike. (laughs) All right. Okay. Because I have to hear this. Because we've seen, uh, I've seen bears. We've had other people seen bear in the trail. Mm -hmm. So all that. But when you take hit an animal and bear in the same statement. Yes. What is this story? So locals would know North Shrine Canyon Road. Mm-hmm. Um, real popular with roadies for hill repeats. Yeah. So I was doing hill repeats on it. September of, I don't remember which year. Um, and I'm coming down. If you know the road really well, as you're descending, pretty close to the bottom, there's a big bouldering rock on your right. If yeah. you're going downhill. Yeah. Just shortly after, there's a really sharp left. Mm-hmm. The left side on the downhills is a pretty big rock wall. So you can't, there's really no yeah, sight line around the no. corner at all. And there's a guardrail on the right side. Um, so I was probably, I'd have to look it up. I was going somewhere around 65, 70 kilometers an hour. So 35, 40 miles an hour. Okay. And I'm fully laid over. Uh-huh. It's, it's oh, yeah. road bike. And once you lay over in a corner, you're committed. There's not really like yeah, there's changing to go. your line. No. And so as I'm coming through the corner ahead of me on the on the road, hind paws on the road, front paws on the guardrail is a bear. Turns his head, looks right at me. So much so, I like, in a split second of my brain, is like, is this someone in a costume? Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's just, just the way it turns his head to look. And I'm like, huh? And I see him, and of course, can't do anything. I'm just like, what's going to happen? I see his back paw slip on the guardrail, and he turns and starts running across the road. Oh, no. And in my head, I'm just like, yeah, I can see the math of this. Like, yeah. Just perfect it's... T-bone. And they're only, <laughs> you know, they're like waist high once they're down all four. So the bike stopped. Um, and you didn't. I did not. Um, I will modify my words. I had enough time to realize what was happening and, and process like, okay, I just hit a bear mm-hmm. and I've been on the road bike years long. I've been hit by cars. I I've clipped a deer. Like yeah. you almost, you kind of accept that part. It's of it. like, I processed like that this actually happened. So while airborne before hitting my face and going completely on I said, you're effing essing me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yep. So I wake up in the road, I kind of stand up, I, I see blood kind of chipping down my front and I'm looking around, I can't find my bike. And I'm like, I, I was definitely unconscious for sure. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, okay, I hit the bear. Where did my bike go? They can't think. So finally I just turn, I look, it's like 10 meters behind me. Oh my gosh. So there's two more parts that gets funny too. So then I rode home. Mm-hmm. Wait, I wait, just, wait. The bike was rideable. Yeah. Okay. Hit the bear. The big, well, that's fat, true. Soft, squishy bear. <laughs> um, and I did in that crash chip off a little piece of my jawbone that's still on Cheyenne Canyon Road under never the got repaving. it back. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not lost. Um, and at the time, I lived up a pretty steep hill, but I could get to it going around a different way. So I was going through the Broadmoor area. And I remember pulling up in the left lane to turn left at a traffic light, and there's I'm assuming tourists. Who knows? Fancy convertible yeah. next to me. And they go, hey, hey, and I, I say, oh, hello, and I turn and look at them, and utter shock on their face. Oh gosh. Cause I'm yeah. just profusely bleeding from the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get home and get cleaned up and I'm realizing I'm seeing white on my jaw. So that's, there's no subcutaneous fat there. I'm like, ah, oh. yeah. So I go to the hospital, get my stitches. Mm-hmm. And again, this is pre NFL concussion stuff. Right. I cannot do a good Eastern Russian or Eastern European accent, but imagine okay. a doctor with, you know, pretty heavy Eastern Russian ish yeah. accent. He's wrapping up with things like, well, you know, any other problems? Anything else? I was Mr. Like, well, Bice, problem with face. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, I was like, well, I, I know I had a concussion because I was unconscious. He goes, ah, you just scrambles your monkeys. <laughs> and <released> me. <laughs> Again, if I could do the accent, it'd be even better. But oh, yeah. yeah. Scrambled, scrambled your monkeys. Your monkeys. Yeah, that's a monkey All right. term. All right. There we go. Oh, yeah. wow. I'm going to take that one to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. I, hitting, hitting a bear. Do you have any idea what the bear might have been? Did the bear just disappear? Were they traumatized? I can sprint pretty fast, but not 35 miles an hour. But even if I yeah. could sprint 35 miles an hour and I ran into an NFL lineman, he wouldn't care. 
<laughs> like, I mean, just about the physics here, right? Like, I'm not doing any damage. We did joke though, because I was, was riding Candel road bike, and that particular year, that it was a big head badge, like oh, a big yeah. badge. Mm-hmm. That uh, somewhere out there, there was a bear with its left shoulder. Had just a nice big C, yeah, just stamped right, right, right on there. Yeah. Well, it gets fun too. Then that fall, I went back to Whistler to work just for a couple weeks, and the closing weekend, I, I they always do sweeps, just like in skiing. A patroller goes down each run just to make sure. Yeah. Hills clear twice in the course of four days. I buzzed the same mama bear closing. And that's oh, actually no. not that uncommon up there. They have a lot of bears in the mountain. Yeah. Bear in my head, this is just six weeks or so after hitting the bear on my road bike. I actually felt, even though I didn't hit her, I felt better about it because I had a downhill bike and armor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I totally. like, this time I've got a shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> at least that's... the bear didn't stick around to investigate you too much. Yeah. I mean, at least he wasn't petulant about it. Like, <laughs> hey, come back here. He was probably a bit startled. Yeah. yeah. Bit. yeah. <laughs> okay. You said you hit a bear and you clipped a couple of deer. Anything else? We've had people hit cows that have been on the show. We've got other stuff a like cow. that. I mean, been hit by cars, of course. Yeah. Any dangerous, Multiple? like, like real bad or just like forced off the road into the bushes kind of thing? Um, some of both. Uh, forced off the road on purpose. Um, had a, a tourist from Iowa turn right into the middle of a group ride. Like just turn into it. Um, cool. They actually didn't hit me. I actually managed to bunny hop the curb at about 75K an hour, but I was on an angle. And I'm a pretty good bike handler, but I can't land a bunny hop on 23 mil tires at that speed. Uh, yeah. It's a, I'd like to meet the person who could. Degree, um, burn. Oh, wow. My shorts geez. were melted into my leg a little bit. Oh. Yep. This is why I mountain bike. But I do <laughs> a fun story with a bad driver. So all the years I've road ridden, it always feels like when someone almost hits you or does something stupid, like five mm. minutes later, you see a cop. Yeah. And it's like, oh, if you'd just been yeah, there. Where were you? Yeah. yeah. One time I had it work the other way. I was heading north on 30th street. Um, it's now a four-way stop, I think, but, uh, you can turn, if you're going north on 30th, you can turn right on Uinta yeah. and there used to not be a stop sign there for people on 30th mm-hmm. and I'm not going too fast. I don't know. No idea. So just kind of cruising up the road, a car pulls in front of their blinker on to turn. They see me and they're actually nice. They just wave me through. I'm like, okay, cool. So they, they just let me pass. They turn. Yeah. So because they are nice to me, two, three more cars had to wait 10 seconds, 15, whatever. Yeah, sure. right? And I'm in a bike lane. So the last car in the road comes up with his window down and starts cursing at me, you know, get off yeah, the road, off the you're road, delaying blah, blah, traffic. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. I, I was a real punk when I was young. I would, when I was much younger, I would have cursed him out and gone belligerent. Yeah. Having been sponsored, I got better at like, you know, because you're representing <laughs> something. I did, I did flip the bird though. Like he said nothing. So I was like, yeah. And so then he starts doing these kind of steering towards me, like not trying to full on it, but kind of push me off the road a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you know that area, there's a little like convenience store, a few blocks up. Yeah. There's a cop parked there. Yes. I feel like we saw the cop at the same time. I can't say that's true, but it feels like it. Uh-huh. You see him straighten out and just start going. And he, you know, he takes off fast, cop pulls out, pulls him over. I catch up and, uh, I was like, officer, do you need anything? Like, nope, I saw everything. You go have a nice ride. Oh, and so that's I just waved excellent. at the guys I passed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That just feels mm. good. Yeah. It's yeah. good to hear that happens sometimes. Yeah. It is good to know that that does occasionally, that we we on the two wheels occasionally win one. Well, actually, thanks for another fun one, because this is kids on bikes, not cops, but uh, state um, park Sip. officers. This is a crazy, crazy, funny, fun outcome one. Okay. So, um you know, kids like we have a lot, we have multiple camps a week. So we do a training for all the coaches before the summer starts. Cause like myself or the camps manager can't beat every camp. Sure. And we have lots of good coaches, but I'm the only one who actually coaches for a living. Yeah. So we go over lots of stuff and you know, last year and this year was more about COVID than coaching, but that's a whole nother barrel of laughs. Yeah. So me personally, before COVID, I'd have one weird incident a year. Uh, mm-hmm. So quick aside on like trail etiquette as a coach, if I'm riding with adults and I say, Oh, six riders back, 
I'm more likely to get a kind of uh, grunt, like yeah, yeah, upset sure. thing. I say six kids back, almost never a bad reaction. Sometimes, but really rare. Yeah. So that's a fun difference to see. But anyway, so we're we in our training, you know, we talk about crazy things you might run into. Mm-hmm. We have a tr- camp I don't go to myself called Urban Trails. I tell those coaches, hey, if you're doing Urban Trails, you're going to have to be ready to have some awkward conversations. Yeah. You're, you're going to pass some homeless people with little kids and they may want to know what's... I guess you might pass yeah. a crazy person who's screaming and cursing. Like it, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, I don't expect to see that in the mountains. No. Pretty rare. So 2020, I'm doing um, Dixon Trail with okay. six kids. All the other coaches and kids are down in Cheyenne Mountain State Park. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you don't know Dixon, it's an, for bikes, it's an out and back. You, at a certain point where you're not allowed to go any further. And so I'm just going back and forth, just checking to make sure, because I've told all the kids, just go uphill. Yeah. When you see signs that can't go any further, stop. Like, there you go. Pretty simple. First little kid gets up there, he's eight. I get a picture in front of the sign because you've got, you can see Shine Mountain behind it and it mm-hmm. says you've gotten as high as you can go, et cetera, because yeah. parents love pictures. And if you know there, there's a little corral so folks can leave their bikes. Okay. So, and I'll, I'll do American for everybody, probably 40 feet away. There's three yeah. people sitting on a log, two of them are smoking a cigarette and I'm facing the boy. I'm not facing them. He just asked me, can you smoke here? I didn't try to speak loudly. I just answered his question. I was like, actually, there's no smoking in Shine Mountain State Park ever. And we're under a statewide fire ban right now. She, uh, the older of the two women smoking immediately, and I'll modify the wording, says, I can effing smoke if I want to. I was like, ma'am, if you're gonna break the rules, that's your choice. Effing right it is. I was like, okay, um, could you at least use different language? I have young kids up here. I don't effing care. Yeah. I go, well, that's unfortunate. And then she stands up and does the whole shoulder swagger mm-hmm. and goes, you want to effing do something about it? And I'm still kind of processing, like, again, if I were in like Monument Valley Park, that wouldn't shock me. Yeah. We're six miles up a trail into the mountains. They had to work for it. Yeah. yeah. I was just, everything about this was just weird, but I just told no, I really don't want to interact with you. Mm-hmm. I looked at the guy cause he wasn't saying anything. He wasn't supposed to, are you guys summiting? He's like, yep. I was like, oh, have a nice hike. Go down with the kids. And they ask, oh, I came to the top. Yeah. I was like, eh, there's people who need to hang around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like we still don't need to do that. And, um, I hang out a little while. The kids eat their lunch. We go up there. The bikes are still there. So this, they've gone on to hike to the top. So I take pictures of their bikes. I know every park ranger. I work in all the parks all summer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cheyenne Mountain has traffic cameras. Oh, no. There's a ticket waiting for them, and their license plate in the system, no state parks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. See, I went down, got the picture. They looked them up, found their car, and just hung out. Because they still had to hike to the top, hike down, get their bikes. Yeah. So that, that license plate and that person, they're a band. Wow. Not for being a jerk in front of kids. But, but for, for smoking, smoking in a fire ban. In a fire yeah. ban, in a place that doesn't allow smoking anyway. And, yeah. And basically, the ranger was more than happy to find out what the most severe punishment he could offer was. Oh, wow. Because I know the ranger and he knows when I'm in China Mountain State Park, I'm just taking a bunch of kids on bike rides. Yeah. And he was pretty stoked that I had six kids under the age of 10 go up Dixon. Well, yeah. So. Huh. I know plenty of people who wouldn't even try that. Yeah. Let alone that. Well, as, as a, a brief aside, at least, I, cycling is a large portion of your life. That's, uh, that's fairly evident. <laughs> um, is there... Any other thing that you're passionate about in, in the cycling or a, I guess in the fitness world or any, you really anything that. else that you're yeah. passionate yeah. about, period. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's really, I'm big time into environmental issues because I live outside. Yeah. Um, interestingly in the, in my kind of two jobs, I mean, cycling, coaching and personal training are real similar, different populations, but in what you're trying to accomplish is very much the same. What's been fun for me to see is I have a big split in what I do the most of and like the most. I'm happy to help anyone ride a bike better. Whether it's just to finish a long bike ride, race a race, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll admit I have more fun with the kids. Like just ha- have them, helping them discover that joy 
And especially the kids when they get, it's not about living fast, when they get old enough to go on kind of what we think of the bigger epic rides, when you can show a kid, hey, you can leave downtown Colorado Springs and go ride to Barcamp. Love doing those kind of days. Yeah, yeah. When I get to that level with kids where like, there's kids I work with, like I can pick them up at their house and just tell their parents, yeah, we'll be back in like 10 hours. I don't know. (laughs) When you can just show, when you have that level of trust with the family and can show kids those experiences, awesome. Outside of cycling, what I found really interesting in the gym, I probably have some of my most fun with seniors. You know, really? I, it's, you know, if someone wants to lose five pounds, look better in a bathing suit, get rid, all fun, you know, good stuff. Yeah. If someone wants to bodybuild and have huge muscles. Cool. I mean, mm-hmm. not my thing per se, but nothing wrong with it. But senior citizens, when they start recognizing, oh, I can shovel my own driveway. My back doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know, even a guy I was working with earlier today, he's only 50, so he's not old at all. He admitted that before working out with me, he could not crouch down in a full squat without knee pain. Yeah. And he, it's fun for him. He's a golfer. He's like, man, it makes putting so much easier. <laughs> I, I don't care about golf. He does. But like, He's right though. I do golf. Whether it's se- maybe seniors isn't even the right word, but when people get old enough to realize their body doesn't work the way they might like, mm-hmm. helping people with that instead yeah. of the, oh, I can bench 200 pounds or I mm-hmm. lost five. I mean, not that I don't care about these things, but it's more fun when I see people and can help them embrace functional fitness. Like, oh, this stuff makes my body work the right way. Yeah. Like that, that's one. And Admittedly, the older they are, the more active they are. It's kind of cool. Like I have an 87-year-old who can do a burpee. It's pretty yes. slow. Whoa. And it's got some modifications, but he's getting down on the ground and getting up and doing a little jump. That's amazing. Like, that's I just, love that's that. That's fun. That is fantastic. Yeah. Helping people discover that life doesn't have to be painful all the time. <laughs> yeah, nope. to me, fitness is freedom. Yeah. Oh, you're, yeah. You should be fit enough that your body can do whatever. Like when I work with parents, well, would you like to be fit enough that whatever sport your kid takes up? You could go play catch with them or whatever instead of, oh, I'd love to join you, but oh, my back, my knees, whatever. Like, I hate it when people can't do things they'd want to do because of physical limitations, aside from an injury. I mean, you know, injury is yeah. a different story, right? Absolutely. But, Fitness is freedom. Yeah. We're going to hold on to that quote. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So what about yourself? I mean, as you have gotten older, mm-hmm. now we've established that you, if you continue to do something, <laughs> you generally can continue to do that thing. I mean, that's kind of a thing about fitness. And with your multiple years of literal daily riding, where do you see your own path going in cycling? Is it, have you got still some sort of bucket list items out there in terms of what you want to accomplish? Or is it like, what do you see coming next? Um, I don't know if there's accomplishments I'm looking for per se. Mm-hmm. Um, like the only races I did this year were as te- as a teammate of kids. Oh, like, nice. Yeah. Where, you know, like relay type races. And that's just, mm-hmm. it's like. I guess in the sense I want to stay fit enough and fast enough not to let them down, so to speak. Yeah. Um, cause they, you know, they like if coach Kip is fast, but I totally like, there's a 10 year old I work with right now. He's going to be kicking my butt soon. <laughs> yeah. Cause by the time he hits 18, I'll be in my fifties and I will not be keeping up with him. No. Nope. doesn't matter what I do. And that's, mm. I'm fine with that. That's fun. So accomplishment wise, I'm not too worried. There are definitely bucket listings. I have an athlete who wants to do trans Andes. Oh, wow. Um, huge challenge for him, as far as his work schedule, we talked about kind of the mm-hmm. art and science. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the science, what I need him to do for the next two years to get ready. I could, I could write that out in 10 minutes. Yeah. His work schedule and making that happen is pretty insane. So I don't know if that one will actually work out. You know, life may be yeah. too much bigger than the science that's needed. Gotcha. And, uh, but that'd be, you know, I, that ride is something I love to do is like trans Andes. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely more like places, there's places I want to go that I haven't ridden, not too many, but a few and places I've been that I really want to get back to. Um, what comes to top of mind there? Oh, I mean, for sure. I want to go to Whistler again next year. I mean, yeah. that'll always be the place that kind of saved my sanity mm-hmm. and there's just, it's just fun. It's such fun riding there. Um, I do also hope with a lot of the kids I work with as they, be, when they're old enough, you know, that's really relative to being able to travel and money. 
I'd love to show some of the kids some of the really cool rides I've been on, taking on some of the really epic experiences. Because yeah. I want to do those rides again, but to show it to someone else too would be really awesome. Oh, yeah. And I do need to ride in Alaska and Hawaii. Because I've been in Are those the only two left? I've got wow. the other 48. Wow. Have you raced in all the lower 48 or just ridden? I think just ridden. Yeah, I'm sure there's a few states where I haven't raced. The fact that you didn't know is actually a testament to how many races you've done <laughs> in how many places that you've lost track. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of like how many group rides. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. knows anymore? And it's funny, if you travel enough, group rides look the same everywhere. I bet they do. The atmosphere. So actually, fun story make me think of Whistler in our mm -hmm. world about assumptions. Yeah. Is uh, there's a group of guys in town. I, I still see them around. I don't um, know if they still have a forum group. If you remember mtbr.com yeah. forums, they used to have a weekly night ride. Well, okay. you know, six o'clock on Wednesdays, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I first found them 15 years, I forget, long ago, when I was racing and training full-time. And there was definitely times I looked for group rides, not so worried if the group ride was fast or not, just like I needed to put in a certain amount of time and eventually just yeah. people, it's motivation, right? Yeah. So I show up for a ride at Palmer Park with, I was racing for Cannondale. I might've been like a scalpel, like a really light cross-country race bike, full Lycra. And uh, I ask, hey, is this group, are you guys going for a ride? And they're like, yeah, 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 cool. And they're all more baggies, bigger, sure. yeah. whatever. Oh, which makes me think of a great story. <laughs> yeah, we'll queue it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this fight on Monarch Crest. Okay, oh. <laughs> we'll come to yes. it. Yeah. So yep. anyway, and this relates to assumptions. And they're like, oh yeah, I mean, we don't go real fast uphill. I'm like, no worries. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, it's funny. I became a lot cooler person once I raced against pros who could kick my butt. Oh yeah, because now it doesn't matter. It's like, you know what? I know when it matters, when money's on the line, then I'll, if it's, that's not the case, I don't need to show off. Yeah. So I was like, no, it's cool. I just want to put in some more hours today. I'm building the base. They're like, okay, cool. So they climb, they take a little break, top every climb, whatever. They'd mm. all rush to get ahead of me. Because yeah. I'm in Lycra, so I must oh, not yeah, have bike handling skills. Of, yeah. And so, and I've seen this happen all over the country. And I, you just look whatever, and you see something technical comes up. Someone doesn't make it, and the cross-country guy makes it. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. And as the ride progresses, well, you race cross-country, right? Yeah. Do you have, have you done other stuff? Well, yeah, some enduro, some downhill. Like, like, well, like, what, what level? Well, I've coached in Whistler. Oh, now you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It looks a little different on the road, but a, a similar thing happens on the road. But yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the things I find amusing in the mountain bike world. The assumptions we make based yep. just on what bike someone's on or what clothing they're wearing or, you know. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. For the last like two years, I've been riding my road bike in baggies and my little visor helmet around town. And trying to chase down people in Lycra just for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's definitely a thing. Uh, so wait, fist fight, I'm on our crest. Yeah. Yes. Go. Yeah. So assumptions. Um, I take kids on Monarch Crest every summer, usually multiple times. This particular time was Front Ranger's ride. Um, it was a cold, wet morning. Right? It was looking rough right off the bat. And we also had one kid and probably a parent who, this is just not a, a go. Yeah. Luckily, we have radios. So if you guys know Monarch well, I got my kids to the little shelter at Greens Creek. Okay. It's cold. It's rainy. Like, there's no point for us to really be riding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quick aside, one of the kids was an Eagle Scout and didn't bring gloves. Like, be prepared. Yeah. Scout motto. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so they're just hanging out in the shelter. We get a little break in the weather. And uh, so I actually ride, well, it's not back. You can ride Monarch either way, but everyone rides it one way. I ride backwards from Greens up to the, the last high point mm -hmm. to get radio service to check in with the other parents. And, yep, they turn around and go back. So, you know, all good to go. So I'm getting ready to go. And there's a couple guys kind of taking a little break there at the top in baggies, younger, uh, you know, yeah. didn't really pay that much attention. And they're kind of getting their stuff to go start the descent to greens. There's a couple guys coming up, maybe older. I didn't look closely. Lycra. And uh, the baggy guys see the Lycra guys. And they're like, oh, hey, can we drop in ahead of you? 
Because, of course, they have to be faster downhill. Well, yeah, they're wearing baggies. Yeah, that's how, it, how it works. It's a law of nature. And the XC <laughs> guys are like, they didn't say Strava, but I, I know Strava was involved in their brain. Uh. <laughs> um, there are things called Striviates. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I like that one. I haven't heard that yeah. one. Yeah. And so the cross country, I forget what he said. He said, well, hurry up. We don't lose our rhythm or something. It's a weekend on Monarch. Like, yeah. So the two leaders of the group kind of bump into each other, trying to get on the trail first. They threw down and had a fist fight. Wow. Just straight up haymakers. Oh, no. Just but going the best at it. part was, it was like a third grader's fist fight. Like rolling <laughs> around on the ground, like punching each other's in the shoulders. I mean, it was just, I laughed out loud. I just laughed at them. And then I said, I guess I get to go first. <laughs> I mean, it lasted 20 seconds. And then uh, yeah, the yeah. other adults kind of realized this is really dumb and pulled yeah. apart. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was one of the funnier things I've seen. Wow. Yeah. Well, at least as cyclists, we kept that one in the family. Like nobody's punching a hiker there. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> no collateral damage. Yeah. My goodness. My goodness. Well, uh, as we have heard some some wisdom here, uh, whole, oh, actually a whole bunch of wisdom. Would you say there are any key life lessons that cycling has has taught you? You'd like to share? Lots. I'm trying to think how to put them specifically. Um, well, it's actually not so much that cycling reinforced this engage in the process what do you um, mean so that's a, a, a phrase i picked up from kind of my mentor i'm sure he picked it up somewhere else but when you think about racing i kind this makes me think of whistler again when i went from like full-time pro contract to like oh what am i gonna do now mm -hmm. should i keep riding not riding we get so caught up in the outcome yeah you know like i have to be in shape to do well at varsity you know senior year high school race or i've got to get in shape to finish this race or i want to you know go up the incline under 30 minutes we like these and goals are great but a lot of us, myself being guilty of it as well, get so caught up in the goals that we miss enjoying the moments, miss engaging in the process of getting there. Yeah. Because um, that's, that's important. Otherwise, why would you put so much time into something if all that really matters to you is the one little end bit? End bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of our name, stand-up pedal action. It's all about being engaged in the moment. Yeah. Standing up. Engaging. Like, don't just sit there yeah. as you're plotting your way along to your goal like yeah every moment and i think that's really beautiful because in some ways to me cycling is the one passion that i've got that has no destination yeah like really because the whole thing like am i on a bike all right well i don't care like it doesn't matter yeah it makes you think of a fun thing i like to do with kids so it's somewhat related the idea is uh, of course i know that we joked earlier about me being a human gps i know the trail mm -hmm. super well i can guide a ride and yeah. i got a really good route for you Kids and adults both, but again, more so with kids. I love just putting them in front. Like, go. Which way should I go? I don't know. Oh, just go have fun. Just turn. If you don't like the trail, turn around. You're never going to learn them until you just go explore. Yeah. In fact, well, kids on bikes on our jerseys, one of the models is explore, dream, thrive. That's awesome. And so I do that on purpose, both as teaching in the sense of just how to learn the trails. Yeah. But also a little more subtly that the point of this should be a bit of just exploring, having some fun, finding new stuff. Yeah. So in the course of exploration, in cycling or in life, sometimes you get wonderful things and sometimes you don't. And that leads to one of the questions we like to ask. Mm -hmm. On a bike, best day, worst day? Oof. That's a tough one. I mean, when every day is on a bike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got a lot to choose from. And you have things like hitting bears in sure. there. <laughs> Probably... Not my best ride ever, but no. as far as having a huge impact in my life, it goes back to Whistler again. Mm -hmm. That first day, I mean, I got 
VIP treatment is great because my sister's on the patrol. So her friend had won the Canadian Women Pros Downhill Championship three times. Oh, my wow. height. She's like, oh, here's a full World Cup level pro Yeti downhill bike. Mm, no free way. free ticket to Whistler. Oh my gosh. And it, uh, it took me part of the day because it, it was funny. I learned this later. Every lap I went with a different patroller. Mm-hmm. Well, my sister was the head of the patrol at the time. They were just trying to see if they could screw with the boss's kid brother who's the pro cross country racer. Okay. So they were just right. ripping me down anything and everything at full tilt and just like sending me, I'm like, yeah, go for it. And it was funny. The really techie stuff was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. It's just precision. Yeah. I'd been spending the whole line. summer on, you know, two point inch tires with, you know, semi slicks and yeah. an 80 mil fork. I'm like, I got a downhill bike. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Getting back to jumping. And I, BMX as a kid, that's where I started. Yeah. In racing, you try not to jump. Right. Jump, jumping is inherently slower. Mm-hmm. So at relearning that skill and hitting big, I mean, you know, mountain biking is supposed to be a metric. Like I said, when I was younger, was that right. jump of like, oh man, this just upped the level of speed and jumping. Well now full on downhill park. Yeah. That yeah. was probably, again, have I had rides that were better in different ways? Sure. But I didn't know it then, but that was the start of that whole process of that trip of like, oh yeah, I really love biking. Whether or not I ever race again or a pro, like that was, I didn't know again in the moment, wasn't thinking it, but looking back, it was, that was that first ride there. It wasn't my first ride there. First ride of that trip. Yeah. Where it was just pure joy. There was, it didn't, I couldn't tell you how fast it went or how many miles I rode or whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's hard for me not to have all those numbers. So that started that process. Um, so that, that, as far as changing my life, that was probably one of the best days on the bike. And then worst day. That's a tough one. Um, a few, um, probably the worst ones are the days friends have died on the bike. Um, I have not been there when a friend has died, but I've been made aware of it right away. But I have seen riders down on the bike who, I won't say they weren't my friends necessarily, yeah. but I, I did know them. Um, yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. And it is an interesting aspect of our sport and something that we, uh, we who go play in the woods or on the roads have to accept that sometimes the thing that is unthinkable actually does in fact occur. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've been on site to do CPR a number of times, um, with an outdoors. I've never had success. Yeah. Um, I've had saves in the gym cause we have an AED. Right. But in the outdoor world, it's usually not a good one. Probably one of the ones that was the worst. And I didn't even know the guy, but much more than in passing was cause of how dumb it was. Uh, I was doing, I forget what they call it. It's a stage race, road stage race in Tucson. I forget the exact name of it, but it's three stages mm-hmm. over the weekend. And the road race goes over Star Pass. And in classic American faction, you can't close a road for a bike race. Mm-hmm. Even though there's other ways to get where this road goes. Yeah. So I was in the Pro 1 field. And it's day two for us. We're racing. And I, f- I forget which lap it was, but <clears throat> we came in on a lap. And they're right, everything's neutral. Shut it down. We're kind of like, okay. Neutral means you're continue to ride but no one's racing. right yeah no one's racing and we're like all right this is kind of the important day what's up didn't learned it later in the day so the cat two field behind us was going down star pass um it's called the yellow line rule you have to stand your mm-hmm. side of the road so cars are still allowed to come up the pass the other way someone in the front of the cat two field had a bad flat tire at high speed on the descent so they're on the ground mm-hmm. and yet yes you're not supposed to go over the yellow line but when someone falls right in front of you you swerve wherever there's a spot to go yeah yeah some of the riders went over the yellow line. If I remember correctly, and I can't say this is for sure, but I feel like we were told or kind of learned later. It was just like a, a little lady going like 20 miles an hour in a Volkswagen bug, doing oh nothing wrong, yeah. head on and killed a cyclist. Mm. And 
I mean, just sad period, obviously. Yeah. What's good about that, and but sad as well, is now for that race, for that one day, they do close that road. It's tough that that's but the lesson that's that had to be takes. learned. Yeah. yeah. Like that is, I, you know, I, I would say I'm patriotic. I'm proud to be an American, but there are certainly things I don't like about our culture. And that's definitely a big, big pet peeve. Yeah. Like roads are not just for cars. Yeah. So, so with uh, tragedy and especially death in the outdoors, a lot of people like to throw around the platitude of, oh, well, they died doing what they loved or it's okay. Would you say like that, that applies for some people and other people see something tragic and walk away and just say, it's not worth it. Have you ever had thoughts like that or in the wake of any of this said, wow, I need to rethink my involvement in sports and cycling? Not to that extreme. Yeah. I mean, certainly at a much simpler level, there are new many dozens of things I've done on a bike that I will not do again. Yeah. Like I've ridden white line in Sedona once. Not worth it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that fun. Yeah. And there, if you know it, there's huge consequence. Absolutely. I've cleaned portal once. No yep. doubt. I'll ride mm -hmm. portal again. Yeah. I'll walk. Yeah. So on a, a much smaller scale, there's things where I realize, you know, not mm -hmm. worth it. Um, as far as the other end of that, as far as, um, when people, what you're saying is people say, oh, but at least they died in their love. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think for the cyclists I know, it's true. I, yeah. I sadly just in the last handful of years, no number of people died while on the bike. And I think the best people who can speak for them are their family. And so the people I've known who've passed in the last years, in every case, that obviously their family was sad, but they said that or some version of that. Yeah. And they, I, I did not in any of talking to them, because I've been to the services and, you know, see on social media as well. I didn't see any of the, oh, we wish he hadn't been, he or she hadn't been doing that or yeah. what, you know, yes, what a tragedy, but like never, oh, this could have been avoided or they shouldn't be doing that. It was much like, yeah, this sucks, but it is part of our, our sport. It can happen for any number of reasons. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think for us, if anyone, if, if they're doing something they love that comes with risk that you cannot avoid. And if their close friends, family members know they're doing what they love, I think for the most people are not, no one wants them to die to do that extreme. Yeah. But I think they're okay with it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm, I'm newly married. Congratulations. She's seen some pictures and videos of stuff I do. She yeah. said, I don't want to see that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but she doesn't say to me, well, don't ride. She's like, I just don't need to see videos or pictures of those certain rides. That, that makes me a little nervous. Yeah. But she doesn't say, oh, you should stop doing that. Mm -hmm. So. And does your new wife ride? A bit more of a hiker. Okay. Which quick aside, it's funny that actually almost works out better. Yeah. I was just going to, that was my next question. Yeah. When I was, I was younger, I, I many times did the classic thing of let me get my girlfriend into mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's worked relatively well at times. Certainly I've, I've, I've known many strong female riders, whether I dated them or not, like if mm. lots of great riders, female riders I'm happy to ride with. Yeah. Um, but, and this isn't because I'm particularly special. I never dated a woman who was faster than me. There are women faster than me. I'm not yeah. saying there aren't. Mm -hmm. I just never happened to date one of them. Yeah. So inherently that whole, like, let's make you a mountain biker thing. A lot of trips and things I did were, were fun, super great to share with them, but sometimes either not good enough or a push. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes, you know, like I'd be somewhere and I just don't get to do a ride. I'd really love to do because it, it just wouldn't be smart to take my partner. Yeah. Or flip side, like you have a bad day because you took it too far. Yeah. So actually yeah. the hiking thing has been nice because she does ride and mm -hmm. her, she does her rides that are my easier rides and that's fine. But like on the trip when we got engaged, she wanted to do like a four hour hike in Zion. There's a shortcut from Zion over to Gooseberry Mesa. So I was like, have a great hike, honey. Yeah. I'll, I'll see you in a while. I'll be back in four hours. <laughs> <laughs> so it actually is, it's, you know, 
it works out as a balance. So as an individual who has, we don't have to get into the details necessarily, mm-hmm. but as somebody who has been married once and now taking another run at it yeah. and everything else, multiple relationships attempted. Yeah. As an individual where cycling is a huge part of your life, any advice for people out there who are trying to figure out that balance? Um, depending on how big of a part of it your life is, however big it is, and I would say the bigger it is, the more clear you want to make that right away. Mm. Uh, in my 20s when it was, I mean, it was, I mean, yes, I coached, I personal trained, but no, I mean, that was side income. It, it was traveling, racing was it. Yeah. At that extreme, it was, it was very extreme in two ways. Yeah, I might meet someone and like, oh, that's so cool. You're a professional athlete. That seems like such a great thing. A couple months later, they're like, wow, you get up at 5 a.m. every day. You're gone every weekend. So whatever portion of your life it is, I would say be very clear about that. And for yourself, decide what you're willing to sacrifice within your own riding. Um, that, and that also plays true in coaching as well. Um, I work with lots of different coaches, lots of different groups. And in no way do I think my way of coaching is better than someone else's. Mm-hmm. I'm just... There's the stuff I believe in. There's, I would say the science is the science. I'm yeah, a science yeah, yeah. Like if there's research, it's like, that's it, right? Yeah. But as far as how you approach it, there's lots of ways to go about it. But one of the things I see, and this is just my opinion about good coaching, is a better coach is willing to sacrifice some of their ride. Because um, I do still see coaches out there who always want to f- coach the fast group. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have, and I am thinking in my head of not just the bike racing teams we coach, even the camps that I lead. Yeah, it's fun to ride with the fastest kid, or if it's an adult group, either way. Like, it's fun to ride with the fastest folks. The fastest folks may need the least help. So yeah. a good coach might go, hey, yeah, I love riding. That's why I do this. But if I'm going to be a good coach, maybe I need to sacrifice some of my ride and ride with the slower group where I can have more help. I could compare that to a relationship. Yeah. I really love this person. I really love biking. I want both. <laughs> you better know what you're okay giving up to give them more time. Yeah. Wise words. Yeah. Absolutely. Before we, we close up here, I uh, just have a couple more questions. Sure. Um, what, uh, what dreams do you have for the future of the cycling world and your involvement in them? The simplest level, I, I'm just looking forward to watching the kids develop these years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are times I think like some 43 now, which isn't old, but eventually 53, 63, 73, like I don't plan to ever stop riding, but I have to accept at certain point there'll be rides I won't be able to do. Yeah. Um, but I hope to see the development of the kids I already know for years and years to come. And again, I, I know some of them will race and I, I know some will race very well. And that's, I'm excited for them about that. I will admit I have as in my coach career had the conversations of someone has the talent to go to Europe and go pro. And I've, I've had to flat out tell them the conversation of performance enhancing drugs will come up. Mm-hmm. Someone somewhere is going to bring this up and you're going to have to make a choice. I don't like that conversation. That's why, again, it's not that I'm against racing at all. Obviously, I did it forever. Mm-hmm. But I don't. When I think of the future, what I'm looking excited about, it's racing is a small part of it. Yeah, I love it when I see kids who come back and coach kids on bikes, and are really, you know, kids who volunteer for us and are really good with little kids. And I like to see them go on and maybe spread that kind of culture anywhere else. You know, whether they come back to the springs as adults or move to another town. So I like, I watch, I look forward to watching that a lot. You say you're excited for the cyclical passion. We really need a warning label on these shows for that kind of thing. Jumping back to the very beginning of this, you, you have ridden every single day since Saturday, September 14th, 2013. Why? 
How? So, so many questions. And was it all outdoors? All outdoors. It only counts if it's outdoors. Okay. Oh my gosh. Um, and over a certain mileage. No. Okay. Just you got on the bike and you pedaled around, even if it's just around the block. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'd say, I don't know. I don't save every Garmin file. Cause like if I ride around the block, like I don't, <laughs> don't save that file. Pretty sure the minimum was probably 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Like the, was it the cyclone bomb day, whatever? Oh Remember yeah. That yeah. Bomb cyclone <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. I think I rode to like trails on taproom and back. Um, which is like a 15 minute ride. Okay. So, I mean, yes, it is a streak. I do get outside, but a lot of them aren't like a, a lot of them are rides just for the streak. And I will admit part of that is for the kids because at the start of the summer, the first time I see a kid at kids on bikes camp, at every camp, at least one kid, usually more than one is how long's the street coach kept. Okay. So there, yeah. there have been days. Um, in fact, so my wife is from a tropical country. She took a picture of me on Valentine's day. Uh, the high that day was negative two. Nice. She just wanted to show her family how many layers it took <laughs> to go outside in negative two. <laughs> oh my gosh. So there are definitely days where I'm like, I, well, I don't want to lose the streak because it's kind of a thing. Yeah. And I do, I don't say I do it for the kids in the cheesy sense, but I will think I'm just like, oh, I'd hate to say, oh, sorry, it ended last winter or something. Yeah. Okay. So how about injuries and sickness? Like how? Yeah. Um, I've been super lucky on both fronts. I've had both. Um, it's, I do not remember. Yeah. I can't not off the time. I remember the last time I was like truly sick, you know, had a sore throat or a headache or a cough. Sure. But like flu or I, I don't. Okay. Yeah. I do not, I cannot remember. That's one thing, but I'm pretty sure I saw an interview. I think it was, uh, uh, something I found on YouTube when we were scrounging around, digging up dirt on you here broke before the show. In South Dakota. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Broke your foot in a race. Small bone on the side of the foot. <laughs> Still, that was during the streak. Mm -hmm. Didn't take a day off. Just taped it. <laughs> uh okay so we've had some advice in the show that's been good is this medically sound advice no. you would recommend for that oh, okay no, all right all right yeah there are some moments as a coach it's the classic do as i say not as i do <laughs> good to understand yeah. yeah all right so the streak has been tested yeah, and there has and now i've also been lucky on the injury front because i mean i joke it was a small bone but it literally was quite a small bone it actually wasn't that difficult to tape up mm -hmm. it was uncomfortable to ride for a couple weeks but it wasn't like horrifying like, yeah. i mean if I break my femur, the streak's going to end. So yeah. I've been able, I've been lucky enough to avoid the, the injuries that like, doesn't matter how tough you are. You just mechanically cannot make you know, the bike work. Recumbent bikes? If, if you do end up in the hospital, uh, there is a hand bike and there is a patio. So <laughs> if you can coordinate. move through space. Oh, that is mm. a tough one. So my wife does embrace the streak. A um, couple of really funny things there. So we got married on the top of Mount Elbert. Which, quick fun note, not only at the highest mountain in Colorado, it's the highest place you can legally ride a bike anywhere in the USA. Mm. Oh, really? Mount Whitney's higher, but it's a uh, wilderness area. So you can't ride there. McKinley's wilderness. Yep. And everything else in Alaska is higher. There's no trails or roads. You could carry your bike somewhere high. But, but then what are you going to do with it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, and she does know that I track like my high altitude, my low altitude. I'm a dork. I've got all my spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. We were having a conversation a couple months <clears throat> before the wedding. And in my head, I'd already thought to myself, you know, I got to ride at sea level this year at one point at zero okay. meters. Yep, zero. So I was like, I really don't want my high point of the year to be a hike. But I, I was smart enough to think this to myself, not say it to her. <laughs> um, but she knows me well. And I don't know how it came, but we were just talking. And she goes, oh, no, no. I know you're hiking down. You're going to bring a bike up, aren't you? So I was like, yes. yes. <laughs> On top of that, she right. has not been home to Padawai in many years. Next okay. winter, we want to go so I can meet her family. Mm -hmm. uh. She first asked me, would it count if I was allowed to ride my bike up and down the aisle while flying? <laughs> Which I would love to do just to see what the GPS does. Like, I can't even imagine what that would... 
I totally yes, wow. I want to know. Yeah, I All don't right. think the I don't think the uh, flight staff will allow that. So that's a long flight. That might be some calls she said ahead we have of time. A layover in Panama, so I can get out and ride my bike. Okay. All right. There <laughs> so, we go. <laughs> she's embraced the streak. Oh, I love it. <laughs> if there is a picture someday of you on a little like fold up those little like eight inch wheel bicycles that fit in suitcases, I want to see that. <laughs> of you like folding a bike up in your carry on just to ride around the tarmac. <laughs> I could see myself doing that. All right. I, mean, I, do, I do have a pixie. All right. Well, there there you go. that's a good start. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Wow. It's actually a custom hey, Ferrari. Have you raced the pixie? Yes. In the actual pixie races here in Springs? Pixie repack. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, how'd you do? I didn't win. I don't remember what I did. I hit 43 miles an hour. I <laughs> that is so oh, I a not OSHA approved. And that doesn't even and, matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, my Pixie, I still have in my basement. It actually has carbon BMX riser bars and a 410 Thompson offset seat post. So it almost, almost fits. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. That's unbelievable. There we go. Wow. That is awesome. Well, <laughs> with all this data that you've been tracking over the years, do you have a rough estimate of how many miles or kilometers you've Oof. covered, um, recorded? I know this year, convert the last few years have been a lot less miles because i do so much mountain bike coaching with kids mm-hmm. which is fun but you just don't cover yeah. huge distances it's a lot of time yeah a lot of time and just mountain biking in general as opposed to road riding you just don't cover as many miles mm-hmm. yeah sure just inherently so this year's a slow year i think i'm about to crack ten thousand miles for the year um oh my gosh so all the way 20 bigger years i'm sure like half a million miles that's ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if we, well, if we go all the way back to 83 with the BMX bike, like I, I literally went on like six, seven, eight mile rides by age like six and seven. Man, that's a lot of miles. All right. Well, I feel like I'm slacking now. <laughs> well, I, it has, I have been teased or asked the question, you know, like a dog in his sleep, the paws will twitch like they're chasing something. Yeah, yeah. Do my feet turn in little circles when, when I'm you're asleep? Sleep. Yeah. And? I, I, I guess when I pass your wife, wife that. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, yeah. And be- before we close out, uh, that little sample of wisdom that we got earlier about training tips for single speed, just a slight sample of the wisdom that's in your head in terms of training. Mm-hmm. If someone were going to try to work with you mm-hmm. and find you, where would they do that? Uh, two easiest places to find me are kip at kidsonbikes.net. Okay. Um, or on Facebook, KJ Bike Coaching. There we go. All cool. right. All right. Yes. Thanks again. My pleasure. And until next time. Yeah. Kip, thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. If you want to know more about stand up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S U P A dot B I K E. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.